Welcome to the Caris Christian Center podcast. Praise the Lord. Well, we're going to begin in John chapter 14. Now, before I share this message, let me tell you, I believe if there, there is ever a message that I've preached that the body of Christ needs to hear. The body of Christ needs to hear this message. The message that I'm going to teach today and next week and the following week and the week after that. John 14, 15, 16, 17. In fact, we broke John up in six parts, and this will be part number five. And I specifically put all of these messages, John 14, 15, 16, and 17, in this part, because I want you to be be able to get it all. Now, this was basically the last message that Jesus preached to his disciples after he had been with them for three years, just before his crucifixion and resurrection. And he said, listen, guys, I'm going to leave you. But don't be troubled. Praise God. Don't fear. Don't worry. Praise God. And I'm going to teach you what Jesus taught his disciples. I believe that you are disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are disciplined students of the Word of God. So let's get into this message and let's begin to look at it. This is my favorite part of all of the Gospels. Jesus says this, John 14, verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you And I go to prepare a place for you. Now, I want you to know something. Jesus is not in heaven laying bricks. He said, in my Father's house are many mansions. I'm glad he didn't say trailer houses. I grew up in one. They'll burn down in about two minutes. And all your earthly possessions with them. That is no joke. If you live in a trailer house, God loves you and I love you. That's better than no house at all. But I grew up that way. You know, and Jesse DePlantis has a really nice house. He's one of my friends. A lot of people get mad at Jesse. Because he's a blessed. But they're not really mad at Jesse. They're not mad about Jesse's house. They're mad about their house. (laughs) Hallelujah. In my father's house are many mansions. And Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And the way that he prepared a place for us in heaven is by his death, burial, and resurrection through his shed blood. And if I go and prepare a place for you, he says in verse 3, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there you may be also. I'm going to pay the price. And where I go, you know in the way you know. Now Thomas, he had been following Jesus now for three years, listened to his teaching. It's amazing how some people who should be smarter say the dumbest things. 
Sometimes he said, Lord, we don't know where you go. How can you know the way? Now, Jesus just stole. He's contradicting Jesus. Do you know what? It is dumb to contradict the Lord. It is dumb to come against the word of God. Do you know? I was in a full gospel church one time and heard a message. Aaron just preached on it last Wednesday night. Did a fantastic job of sharing it on Isaiah 45 verse 11. And this pastor preached on why that's not true. Now that's like the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Jesus just told Thomas, he, he says, listen, where I go, you know, and the way you know. And he, Thomas says, no, we don't know where you're going, and how can we know the way? Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life, and no man comes to the Father except by me. There is only one way to get to God, and that's through Christ. Amen. There is only one name given under heaven whereby we must be saved, and that's by the name of Jesus. He is the only one who was God, who became a man, who died on the cross, who took our sins, who God raised from the dead, who's coming again. Jesus. If you had known me, you should have known my father also. From this point, you will know him and have seen him. Now, Philip, he, he, he says something bright too. He, he says, Lord, show us the Father and it will be sufficient. <laughs> now, Jesus, Jesus just told him what they'd seen him. You know, some believers, it's like there's never enough. They're always wanting more. The problem with that is it's like more drugs or more alcohol. It's like you don't know what you've been given. You don't know what you already have. You need to realize what you've been given. You need to realize what you have. Jesus said, have I been so long with you and you have not known me, Philip? He that has seen me has seen the Father. And how do you say, show us the Father? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen God. Do you believe that I am in the Father and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself. But the Father that is in me does the works. Jesus said you can know the Father and you can know me. And you can know me by the words that I speak, number one, and by the works that I do. If you can't believe my words, then believe my works. But my words and my works testify of who I am and who God is. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the very works' sake. You need to know who Jesus is. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. I'm in the Father and the Father's in me. I'm God manifest in the flesh. Amen? But then when you know who Jesus is, then you need to know what he's called you to do. And he moves into that in verse 12. Verily, verily, truly, I tell you, he who believes on me. How many of you in this room believe Jesus? Jesus is your Lord. Jesus is your Savior. Listen to his words to you. He who believes on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. Jesus said, you're going to do the same works that I do. This is what I've called you to do. I've called you to do my works. 
1 John 2 verse 6 says, He that says he abides in him ought to walk even as he, Jesus, walked. If you say you abide in him, you ought to be doing what Jesus did. The works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do because I go unto my Father. Look at those six words. Because I go unto my Father. That changes everything. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ changes everything. And we have too many people in the New Testament church that are still praying Old Testament prayers and still living on the backside of the cross. And we need to start living like what Jesus said is true. We need to start living like the Word of God is true. We not need to start living like New Covenant believers. Now, he tells us how we're going to do it. He who believes on me, the works that I do, shall he do also. And this is because I'm paying the price, because I go to my Father. Because I'm shedding my blood. Whatever you ask in my name, in verse 13, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. What Jesus is saying is I give you the power of attorney to use my name. Do you understand what the power of attorney is? The power of attorney is as Jesus himself was standing there, right, was doing it. You are in his place. Jesus said, I am going to the Father, and I want you to take authority in my name. Now in John 14, 15, 16, and 17, Jesus primarily preaches two things. Number one, he says, I have given you authority to use my name. This message has been left out of most churches today. I would dare to tell you that less than 10% of churches across the United States and the world teach the message of the authority that we have been given in the name of Jesus. And that changes everything. When you understand, you are not here as a poor beggar just pleading with God, just hoping to God, just... You have authority as a believer. And Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified. It's going to bring glory to God when you take authority and when you begin to use the authority of my name. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Now, first of all, we've got to begin to understand what this word ask means in the Greek. This word ask is the Greek word atayo, and it means this, to ask, to call, to desire, 
but it also means this, to require. In other words, you make a demand based on a right. You make a demand based on a promise. You see, when I was a young man growing up, we lived in Penrose, Colorado. We lived in a little 10 by 60 trailer house. We lived there for several years. And one day, one of my neighbor boys came over to my house, and he got under my trailer, and he took my, you know, those nice big metal Tonka trucks? I had one. He took it, and he stole my truck. And you know what I did? I went to his trailer house, and I got under his trailer, and I took my truck back. Amen? And you know what? That little boy is just like the devil. The devil is trying to steal your health and steal your wealth and steal your peace. And it's time that you go get it back in the name of Jesus. It's time that you rise up and take your authority as a believer and quit letting the devil kick you from pillar to post. There's too many Christians singing these begging songs. Praise God. And you need to quit singing begging songs. You need to quit singing these baloney, whiny, bellyachy, touchy, feely, crying your beer songs. No different than them people drinking all that garbage in the world. It's garbage in the church. Amen? And you need to start taking authority as a believer and you start, need to start living like Jesus is raised from the dead and he's given you authority. <laughs> Praise God. So Jesus said, I want you to make a demand based on a right. There's some things that you desire. The Bible says in Psalm chapter 37, praise God, in verse 4. How does it say in Psalm 37 verse 4? Somebody tell me. Hallelujah. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. There's some things that you desire. There's some things that you want. What do you want? Amen. Take authority in the name of Jesus and begin to live out the promises of God. That's what Jesus said. Now, look at He talks about this in Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 7 and verse 7. Let's read there. Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and the door shall be opened unto you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it shall be opened. And literally in the Greek it says something like this. Ask and keep on asking. Amen. And seek and keep on seeking. And knock and keep on knocking. Ask and receive, and then ask for some more. And seek and find, and then find some more. Amen? And knock. Amen? And, and enter, and then knock some more. There's another door. Do you know what? I am believing God for more than I've ever believed him for in my life before. Hallelujah. Now he goes on. What man is of you who his son asks bread? Will you give him a stone? If your son asks for something that will give him life, are you going to give him something that's going to kill him? 
If he asks for a fish, will you give him a serpent? For life, are you going to give him death? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father who is in heaven good th- give good things to those who ask him? God wants to do good things. He wants to bless you. He wants to help you. He wants to perform his word to you. Look at Luke chapter 11. Jesus said it this way. In verse 9 and 10, he's saying the same thing. Then he says in verse 11, if a son asks bread of any of you that is a father, he will give him a stone. Or if he asks a fish, will he, for a fish, give him a snake? For life, will he give him death? If he asks for an egg, again, a sign of life, will he offer him a scorpion, death? He says, if you being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God wants to give his children good things. God wants to give his children the promises that he promised in his word. Praise God. You know what? But a lot of times we don't know what we've been given. We don't even know what to ask for. Do you know faith begins where the will of God is known? For instance, in the will, uh, in, in the area of d- divine healing, do you know it is God's will to heal you as a believer 100% of the time? You say, Pastor Lawson, how could you say that? I say that because God told his children in Exodus chapter 15, verse 26, I am the Lord who heals you. Faith begins where the will of God is known. He said, my name is Jehovah Rapha. Then in Malachi chapter 3, verse 6, he says, I am the Lord and I change not. I'm not changing from that. We have the unchangeable word of an unchangeable God. So number one, it's God's will to heal you because that's who he said he is. Number two, it's God's will to heal you because it's his promise to you. He says in Psalm 107 verse 20, he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. He says in Psalm 103 verse 3, he forgives all of our iniquities and he heals all of our diseases. He says in Jeremiah 30 verse 17, I will heal you of your wounds and restore health to you. We can have the promise of healing because God promised it to us. Praise God. Amen. We can have the promise of healing because Jesus paid for it on the cross. See in Isaiah chapter 53 in verse 4, he said, surely he took our infirmities. Amen. He took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. He says in verse 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes or with his stripes we are healed. Rapha. Did you know his promise comes out of who he is? Now that scripture tells us Isaiah is prophesying prophesying some six to seven hundred years before the cross. And what he is saying is Jesus on the cross is going to take our sins, he's going to take our anxieties, and he's going to take our physical sicknesses. Spirit, soul, and body. He provided for the whole man. 
Number one, we can be healed because God said, I am the Lord who heals you and I change not. Number two, we can be healed because the Bible promises healing and health. Those are promises that we have. Number three, that we can be healed because Jesus paid for it at the cross. When he was healing the sick in Matthew chapter 8, they looked on him and he says this, you know, verse 16 and verse 17, was done that it might be fulfilled, which Isaiah the prophet spoke, himself took our infirmities and bare our pain. He said, this is Jesus. This is what he's doing. Peter looked back on it. 1 Peter 2 verse 24. And he said, who his own self bear our sin in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sin should live under righteousness by whose stripes you were, past tense. Peter looked back at, by his stripes you were healed. So I have a Bible, I have a covenant right because God said this is who I am. I am your healer. This is the promise that I make. This is what my son's going to pay for on the cross and paid for on the cross. And number four, hallelujah, because this is what Jesus did in his earthly ministry. Fourteen times it says in the New Testament, they brought unto him all that were sick of every kind of disease and he healed them every one. Fourteen times. He healed them every one. He healed every sickness and every disease among the people. Peter was preaching about him in Acts chapter 10 verse 38. And he said, haven't you heard how God anointed Jesus with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. Sickness is of the devil. For God was with him. You remember the woman that, that in, in Luke chapter 13, I believe it was. And, and, and they, they brought her to Jesus, and she came to Jesus, and Jesus said, Woman, you are loosed from your infirmity. He spoke a word of healing. They said, Who is this that heals on the Sabbath? He said, You guys go and take your donkey and your cow and water them on the Sabbath day. And shouldn't this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, she has a covenant right, who Satan has bound, be loosed from this. She had been sick for 18 years, and Jesus set her free. Every time. There is nobody that came to Jesus to be healed who he did not heal. And he is a living demonstration of the will of God. No man has seen God at any time. John says in chapter 1 verse 18. But the only begotten son who is from the bosom of the father. He has declared him. He has revealed him. He has openly made him known. Hallelujah. Luke chapter 10. Look at this. He sent the 74th, he sent the 12 in Luke chapter 9 and gave them power over all devils and to heal the sick. And then he sent the 74th in Luke chapter 10 to heal the sick and to preach the kingdom of God. And they returned again in verse 17, said, Lord, even the devils are subject to us through your name. We got power over the devil. You have power over the devil. These signs will follow those who believe in my name. They'll cast out devils. He said, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. When that I believe that happened when Jesus died and rose again. Behold, I give you power. I give you authority to tread upon serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nothing's going to hurt you. You're protected. We have divine protection. Isn't that good? Yeah. 
You'll take up serpents. If you drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt you. And you'll lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Notwithstanding, in verse 20, in this don't rejoice that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Rejoice because you have a relationship with God, and it's a relationship with God that makes this work. So what's Jesus saying? I want you to do my works. Number one, you need to know who I am. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Amen, I'm God manifest in the flesh. Number two, I want you to do the same things that I'm doing. How are you going to do that? I'm going to go to the Father. I'm going to shed my blood. I'm going to pay the price. And then you go take authority. I give you the power of attorney to use my name. But not only that, do you know churches by and large do not preach the authority of the believer. And we need to teach people their God-given authority. And we're just hoping so and thinking so and begging and pleading and wondering why God. Did you know some things are up to you? So start taking authority. Hallelujah. Now, not only that, you have the Holy Spirit. Verse 15 through verse 20. Listen to what he says. If you love me, keep my commandments. I'll pray the Father. He'll give you another comforter. He talks about this. John 14, 15, and 16. The word comforter is the Greek word parakletos. He's going to give you the Holy Spirit. The helper, the comforter, the advocate, the intercessor, the aid, the assistant. The one who pleads another's cause or case that he may abide with you forever. I'm going to leave you, but I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And he's going to come and live with you. Even the Spirit of truth, he says in verse 17, whom the world cannot receive. Until you receive Jesus, you are not even a candidate for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You must be born again to be a candidate for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The world cannot receive him because it sees him not, neither knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you. The Holy Spirit dwells with you and shall be in you. He dwelt with them in the person of Jesus, but Jesus said, listen, I'm going to go and I'm going to send him. He says in John 16, it's very necessary, it's expedient for you that I go away because if I don't go away, he's not going to come. And if he doesn't come, when he comes, he's going to convict the world of sin, righteousness, of judgment. And he's going to tell the church what I've called them to do. He's going to show them the Father's plan. We'll preach more about that. Thank God we have the Holy Spirit. Now, you know, I grew up in a church that in all reality, it was the Father, the Son, and the Holy who? We said that we believed in the Holy Spirit, but we did not know anything about the Holy Spirit. In fact, my grandparents helped start that church in Lamar, Colorado, years and years before I was ever born. But in 1978, we started going to a Bible study. And a bunch of us were in my family and my cousins and my aunts. You know what? And my uncles, we got filled with the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. And it changed our life. In fact, we went back to our church. And at our church, they said, if you believe in that speaking in tongues, every one of you stay where you're at. 
If you don't believe in speaking in tongues, stand up and come forward. Did you know what? They excommunicated the Holy Spirit from that church. That is like dumb, dumb, double dumb. And you know what? That church had always run 75 to 100 people, and there were people being saved and different things. That church went straight down and stayed 10 to 20 people for 10 years. And then they got a pastor. They didn't know it. He was one of these undercover ones. And he was baptizing the Holy Spirit. Guess what? The church went right back up to 75 to 100 people. There were people, he, by that time I was pastor and he asked me to come preach. I went there and preached. People got saved and delivered and set free by the power of God. It was wonderful. That's what happens when you go in the power of the Holy Spirit. Glory to God. But you know what's worse than a church that doesn't really know who the Holy Spirit is? What's worse than a church that doesn't know who the Holy Spirit is and doesn't know what he does is a church that started in the power of God and left it. And I am telling you, there are bunches of these seeker-sensitive churches that have left the power of the Holy Spirit and they are making apologies for the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the presence of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit. I am telling you, a charismatic, full gospel, Pentecostal church that is dead is double dead. And there is nothing deader than a dead, spirit-filled church. Now, I made up my mind when I was a child. Once I got spirit-filled that I wasn't going to go back to a dead church. I wasn't going to be a part of one, and I'm still that way. I made up my mind when I was a young man. If I have to drive a hundred miles to go to a church that is full of the life of the Spirit, I'm going to drive a hundred miles. No, my, it's amazing. We have people that drive 130 miles on a regular, pretty regular basis. People that drive 80 miles. Bunch of people that drive a hundred miles. We got people that now are driving from Sedona, Arizona every other weekend to come to Colorado Spring. That's a 12-hour drive because you know what they want the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit and they want the truth of the word in an uncompromised manner and it's time for us see the church I grew up we, we said it was so cold in there that the well of life froze up we said it was so cold that you could ice skate down the aisles and that is terrible but I'm telling you, a spirit-filled church that is dead is double dead. And we need to get back to the power of the Holy Spirit and not make any apologies for the Holy Spirit. So he said, he's with you. He's with him in the person of Jesus, and he shall be in you. He says in verse 18, I will not leave you comfortless. The Greek word is orphanos. Listen, I'm going to leave, but I'm not going to leave you on your own. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you by yourself. I'm going to help you. I will come to you in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Yet a little while in the world sees me no more, but you see me because I live, you will live also. At that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you and me and I and you. Now look at this. In verse 10, Jesus said, don't you believe that I'm in the Father, the Father in me? But he says, in that day, in the day the Holy Spirit comes, 
you will know that I'm in my Father and you're in me and I'm in you. What a marvelous thing that we have taken up residence in Christ. If any person be in Christ, Paul says, he has become, she has become, they have become a new creation, a new creature, a new kind of being, and all things are of God. What a marvelous revelation. That's 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18. He says this in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. He says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. I'm preaching the mystery that has been hidden from ages and generations. He says in verse 29, I labor according to his working that works in me mightily. John says in 1 John chapter 4 verse 4, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. He says in 1 John chapter 5 verse 4, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Whosoever is born of God overcomes this world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcomes the world in verse 5 but he who believes that Jesus is the son of God glory to God so number one he says listen now I want you to go do what I what I've been doing and the way you're going to do it is by taking authority in my name because I'm paying the price because of redemption because I'm shedding my blood and because I'm sending my Holy Spirit now look at what he says next Verse 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them, he is, it is that loves me. And he who loves me will be loved to my father. And I will love him and make myself known to him. Judas says unto him, not a scared, Lord, how are you going to reveal yourself to us and not the world? That's a good question. What's the difference between the church and the world? What's the difference between the church and the world? The difference between the church and the world is what we do with the word. Jesus answers and says in him, verse 23, if a man love me, he will keep my words. And my father will love him and we will come to him and we will make our residence with him. We'll make our abode with him. He who loves me and keeps not my sayings, he who loves me not does not keep my sayings and the word which you hear is not mine but the father's which sent me in other words you're going to do it how are you going to do my work you're going to do it through taking authority because I've given you the authority to use my name you're going to do it through the presence of the Holy Spirit I'm going to I'm going to leave but the Holy Spirit's coming and he's going to come live on the inside of you praise God then he, then he says, you're going to do it by the power of my word. Thank God we have a Bible full of promises that we can believe. Believe in the word of God will change your life. These things have I spoken being present with you. But the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, the paraclete, the one who's called alongside the helper, the comforter, the advocate, the intercessor, the aid, the assistant, the one who pleads your case. The comforter who is the Holy Ghost, who the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance 
Whatever I said to you, the first thing the Holy Ghost is going to do, the first thing that happened to me when I got baptized in the Holy Spirit was the Word of God came alive to me. It came alive to me. He'll bring to your remembrance whatever I said to you. He's going to be your personal teacher. So listen, I want you to go do what I've called you to do. I want you to take authority in my name. I've given you the Holy Spirit. And I've given you my word. Finally, he says this in verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, give I to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. Listen, keep operating in the presence of God. Where the presence of God is, there's peace. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Right? Keep operating in peace. I love Psalm 119, 165. Great peace have they who love your word, and nothing will offend them. Nothing will cause them to stumble. Keep loving the word. You've heard how I said unto you, I go away and come again to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice. Because I said, I go unto the Father, for my Father is greater than I. Listen to what he's saying. He said, if you loved me, you would rejoice. I love Philippians 3, verse 3. It says, these are the circumcision. These are the covenant people of God. Amen? Who rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. We rejoice in Christ Jesus. We have his presence. We have his peace. We have his joy. We have his love. Now listen to what he says in verse 29 and 30. Now I've told you before it come to pass that when it comes to pass you might believe. In other words, I'm telling you before it happens. After this, in verse 30, I'm not going to talk much with you. For the prince of this world comes and has nothing in me. Now, does the devil leave you alone because you get saved? Not according to the Bible. According to the Bible, in Hebrews chapter 10, the scripture says that after you were enlightened, you endured a great fight of affliction. See, before you got saved, you weren't really doing any damage to the devil's kingdom. You weren't, as long as you didn't have any knowledge of the things of God. But when you get saved, number one, then, you know, I never had the devil lie to me that there wasn't a God till I got saved. And as soon as I got saved, the devil said, there's not a God. I thought, that's odd. Before, I'm eight years old, I'm thinking, no, there's a God. He says, there's not a God. Salvation isn't real. He never told me, told me that before I got saved. But as soon as I got saved, the devil's like, there's not a God. There's nothing to this salvation stuff. Oh, yes, there is. He started, you know, I know people that have struggled with that question for 20 years. I shut him down in two weeks. There is a God. He's real, and I'm saved. Immediately after you enlightened, you endured a great fight of afflictions. That's what Hebrew did. But don't cast away your confidence because it has great repayment of reward. Keep believing Jesus. Amen. Now, as we look at this, he has, 
He has a lot to say. From now on, I'm not going to talk much with you because the prince of this world, the devil, is coming, and he has nothing in me. So, how do you deal with it when the devil attacks you? Well, the number one thing that you need to do when the devil attacks you is shut your mouth. <laughs> if you don't know what to say, don't say anything at all. Because a lot of you play right into the devil's hand. And you start agreeing with what the devil's saying. I'm so sick. I'm so tired. I'm so poor. I can't do anything. I can't afford it. That's a lie. I don't never, I don't say those things. I never say I can't afford it. You know, we came and started this church. We had almost no people and no money. And we started giving and believing. And I've said it for the last 21 years. And I'll say it for the rest of my life. I have everything I need to do everything God called me to do. I have no lack in any area of my life. I am blessed and highly favored of the Lord. And you know what? It just keeps getting better and better and better because that is the gospel truth. But if you just look out there at the world and what goes on in the world, okay, oh, it's $5. I don't know what I'm going to do. Oh, the stock market now. It'll go back up. And then it'll go down some more. And then there'll be great, great, great opportunity. <laughs> Amen? Dial into Jesus. Put a guard on your mouth. The Bible says this actually in Proverbs. 10 verse 19. It says, In the multitude of words there wanteth not sin. In other words, if you want to get in trouble, just keep running off at the mouth. Sometimes you shouldn't say anything at all. I have a good friend. He went home to be with Jesus a few years back, but he said in the area of business, he said, if you don't know what to do, probably do nothing at all. That's just a good bit of wisdom. If you don't know what to say, probably say nothing at all. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat the fruit of it. So quit agreeing with what the devil says about you and start saying what God says about you. Say, I'm healthy, I'm whole, I'm strong, I'm well, I'm blessed. Amen? I have plenty of money. I have more than enough. I'm blessed coming in, blessed going out, blessed in the city, blessed in the field, blessed in the fruit of my body, blessed in my business, blessed in my bank account, blessed in my storehouse, blessed. Everything I touch is blessed. I'm blessed by the Most High God, the possessor of heaven and earth. Hallelujah. Disease departs my body. The same spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in me and quickens my mortal body. In the name of Jesus, I'm strong and I'm healthy and I'm doing the will of God.
You know, most people in this church don't think Pastor Lawson has any battles. You know why? Because I don't tell you when I'm having a battle. You think I have lots of victories. You know why? Because I tell you the victory. But the victory came after a battle. And many times I have great battles. But I don't talk about it. I don't even tell my wife most of the time. I don't ask my body how it feels. I tell my body how it feels. Smith Wigglesworth, Lester Sumrall went and knocked on his door. He said, Smith, how you doing? He said, I don't ask myself how I feel. I tell myself how I feel. He said, I get up every morning and I dance 10 minutes before God. Glory to God. Yeah. Hallelujah. And I take authority over my body. And I tell my body in the name of Jesus how it's going to live, how it's going to walk, how it's going to be, what it's going to do. Ten years ago, nine years ago, I asked God for 40 more years preaching the gospel and living and being healthy. That means I got 31 more years of health and strength and preaching the gospel. <laughs> Hallelujah. Start acting like the Bible's true. Start acting like the word's true. Hallelujah. Start acting like Jesus is Lord of heaven, Lord of the grave, and Lord of earth, and he lives in you. Start acting like you are the sons of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Hallelujah. Amen. Peter Daniels came and preached in this church, and he had a sign when he started out. He put a sign on his car, said, I am the son of a king. And he went to this dead religious church and he embarrassed them because he drove a Rolls Royce. So he left that dead religious church and he went over to a spirit-filled word church. And they believed what, and they made him a special parking lot right in the front of the church where he could park his Rolls Royce. And on it he put the back, I've seen a picture of it. He put a big sign right on the truck said, I am the son of a king. Start living like the king's kid. Start living like you who you are. Glory to God. Start. <laughs> Can I give you new one more? Because the prince of this world comes, he has nothing in me. Jesus said, I'm not going to say very much. In the multitude of words, there wanteth not sin. Here's another one. Ecclesiastes 5 verse 3 says this. A dream comes through the multitude of business. I tell people it's easy to make a million dollars. You just have to find out how to make it. And I've done it. I get so tired of these Christians that never had nothing or done nothing. Writing books on prosperity. Don't even know what it entails. Hallelujah. A dream comes through the multitude of business. You just find out how to make $1,000 and do it a thousand times. I've done it a few times over. And it'll work for anybody that'll believe it. Amen? Hallelujah. Glory to God. But the, the next part of it says this. A fool's voice is known by the multitude of his words. So if you don't know what to say, don't say anything at all. 
and use your voice as a weapon against the enemy. Aaron preached a great message on Wednesday night. And God says this in Isaiah 45 verse 11. Ask me of things to come concerning my sons and concerning the works of my hands. Command ye me. And in some of these weak translations, it has a question mark. That is not a question mark. In the authorized King James Version, it has a period. And it says concerning, in other words, you ask me what I want, and then you make some commands. You declare some things, says the Lord. I've declared some things about you. Now you go with your mouth and you declare what I said about you and you start seeing what I promised you come to pass. Glory to God. So let's read this last verse. John 14, verse 31. But that the world may know that I love the Father as the Father gave me commandment, even so do I arise and let us go from here. In other words, Jesus said, listen, I want you to know who I am. I'm the way, the truth, life. I'm in the Father and the Father's in me. I'm God manifest in the flesh. I want you to know, know what the Father has called you to do. The same works that I do and greater works than these shall you do because I go to my Father because redemption has been paid. Now here's your, how you're going to do it. Take authority in my name. Walk in the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is with you, and the Holy Spirit will help you. Find out what my word says. You have the promise of my word. And last of all, remember that I am with you. You have my presence with you at all times. Walk in peace. Walk in joy. Walk in the presence of my spirit and live out the victory that I have already won for you. Bless you. I love you. Thank you for listening to the Karis Christian Center podcast. If you would like to receive prayer, product, or more information about the ministry, go to www.karischristiancenter.com or call us at 719-418-4000.